Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. With Joe Biden's approval rating sinking ever lower, is America shifting to the right? Can Trumpism be popular without Donald Trump? And is wokeism here to stay? To discuss these questions, I'm joined by the deputy editor of The Spectator, Freddie Gray. I started our interview by asking why Joe Biden is so historically unpopular. Well, I suppose it's that he was almost elected by accident. There was a sort of huge drive to get Donald Trump out. And while I don't think Trump was as hated by the American people as uh, most of the media thought he was, he certainly wasn't ever very popular. And I think the American people were exhausted by his presidency. It was four very tumultuous years. And Biden came in and he had a certain amount of goodwill. Um, His job approval ratings in January showed that. However, it quickly emerged that his presidency was was sort of wafer thin in many ways. He promised a lot of government money, a lot of huge government spending, and people liked that at first. But then the inflationary consequences of that start to bite and people start to feel a bit anxious and a bit concerned. And I suppose the real tipping point, actually, was when the media turned on him a bit, and that was around Afghanistan and the sort of botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, which is something that the American people wanted to do, They just didn't like the way he did it. And that sort of caused a precipitous decline, which we're now seeing reaching pretty serious lows. I want to talk about some of the culture war aspects in America a bit later on. But perhaps Joe Biden's popularity is linked with the fact the economy is struggling. You mentioned inflation there. You know, it's historic levels, I think, more than 20 years. Mm. Uh, Does it go back to this old cliche of it's the economy, stupid? I think so. Yes, I think uh, certainly there's there's sort of there was a sort of attempt to say like the grown ups are now in charge when Biden came in, and you know we're going to get over the the crazy period of the Trump years, but actually the Trump economy was pretty good. You can say it was juiced with massive government spending if you want, and that may be true, but it's pretty clear that Biden doesn't have a plan to get inflation under control. And I think yes, the the, the basic fact of the economy, rising gas prices, oil prices in America, that's a very significant economic and voter indicator of of discontent. And huge supply chain issues as people are trying to buy their Christmas presents, they're seeing delays and things like that. That's a a massive part of why Biden might be be so unpopular. Yes, I agree. And then also you have to take him, him, Joe Biden, into account because you want someone to project authority and competence 
And that's what he was presented as someone who would do that. But he hasn't. I mean, I had a piece where I said it's the senility stupid, which was probably quite a facetious thing to say. But I do think that he's doddery. He's clearly doddery. Uh, His press team do try and shield him from questions. And there is a growing sense that there's this man in charge of the country, in charge of the free world, who is not entirely aware of what's going on, who is not at his best. It's a difficult subject to talk about because this is about someone's health and we don't want to be rude about people who are growing old and, you know, there, there are obviously issues there. But you can just look at the, the gaffes, look at him on the world stage, look at him at COP, yeah. look at him doing all these things where you just think, is he really, is he really there? Well, every time I write about Joe Biden and his sort of mental health, uh, I get an email from my dad saying, you've really got to stop being so horrible. We're, you know, we, we do all get old. But, you know, I mean, my dad would be the first to admit that he, he shouldn't be the uh, leader of the free world at the moment. You know? <laughs> so I think that it is a concern and it's very, very odd that every time you mention it, you're accused of rehashing Trumpist talking points. And of course, it was a Trumpist talking point to say that Joe's a bit slow and, and, and a bit old. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's not true. And, and I think it's very, very strange that we're not sort of allowed to talk about it without being accused of being dangerously right wing or, or Fox News in disguise. It's not just Biden that's unpopular, though. You've written a piece recently about his vice president, Kamala Harris. She's even more unpopular than Joe Biden. I think he's at 42 percent. She's about 28 percent approval rating. Why is that? She's extremely annoying. And I think every time she's proved unpopular in the past, she suggests that's because of racism and sexism. But I don't think you have to be racist or sexist to think that Kamala Harris is annoying. She just is. Her laugh is extremely irritating. She's extremely phony in the way she comes across. She's never actually seemed to stand for much. And I think it's always worth remembering that, you know, during the riots, the, the Black Lives Matter riots, protests turned riots, when several cities in America were, were sort of on fire, really, she tweeted a link to a bail fund, a, a fund for getting arrested protesters out of jail. And this was purely because she wanted to signal that she was not a cop because the left, the Democratic Party, thought of her as a cop because of her record as, a, as an attorney general, as a lawyer. So I think it's as a prosecutor, I mean. So I think it's just very strange that she did that. And she showed enormously bad political judgment there. And the fact that she's not likable and the fact that when people say they don't like her, she accuses them of being racist or sexist. I, I think it's a sort of death spiral for her in terms of popularity. And we're now seeing that. Are the Democrats now more radical than the Republicans? And if we look at those issues of, of wokeness and the economy, they're spending huge amounts of money on these uh, infrastructure packages. But their rhetoric is also extreme in, in, in some ways. The Democrats talk about their opponents as being domestic terrorists, for example. That's mm-hmm. one of those really sort of heated rhetoric at the moment. Do you think the Democrats are more radical than the Republicans? Yes, I think so. I mean, certainly on the, on the woke agenda, it, they are unable to see how harmful it is to them in the polls. They keep banging on about issues that really put off a lot of American voters. You know, you talk about critical race theory in schools, which we saw in the gubernatorial election in Virginia recently. That was a huge driver against the Democrats because parents really don't like it. And yet they double down on it. And they call, as you say, they call parents domestic terrorists. I mean, that's not a sensible thing for a party to do. And it's almost as though they want to destroy themselves. They want to show that they are going down as the party that are right, even if the people can't accept it. Is woke losing the battle for public opinion in America? I think so. I think it's drastically off-putting. And also when there are serious crises going on, you've got COVID, you've got inflation, you've got serious instability in the sort of global world picture. 
And then you've got a Democratic Party that are obsessing over strange woke gestures like appointing a transgendered admiral and making a big deal about that or celebrating International Pronouns Day. It feels silly when there's very important big stuff going on. And I think American voters are getting very, very angry about that. So there's an interesting term called Latinx, and I want to quote from a Democratic congressman who recently, actually yesterday, tweeted about this term, and he said that he will ban his office from ever using Latinx. When Latino politicos use the term, it's largely to appease white, rich progressives who think that the term, that is the term we use, it's a vicious circle of confirmation bias. Could we see more Democrats coming out against so-called woke terms and actually shifting to the right? I think you, you, you almost certainly will, and that will be where the party splits. Because while the sort of radical wing, the, the so-called squad of the foremost progressive Democratic congresswomen, while they double down on, on the woke agenda, a lot of the Democrats are realising how toxic it, toxic it is at the ballot and turning against it. And I think particularly among Hispanics, you see in the last presidential election, you saw a substantial drift towards Trump, particularly in a key state like Florida. If the Democrats are losing Hispanics in the South because of the woke agenda, because Hispanic voters don't seem to like pronouns, latinx, terms like that. Uh, That's a serious problem for them. So they're going to have to change if they want to survive. It's also interesting because I think 2% of Hispanics supported the use of that term, whereas 40% said it was total nonsense in a recent opinion poll. And in recent elections in Virginia, but also in Texas, there were Latino voters who are shifting to the Republicans yet again, and you mentioned in 2020 the same thing happening. So could the Democratic voter coalition be under threat? I think so. I think it's a bit early to talk about that. I mean, the the Republicans got very excited about the African-American vote moving towards Trump, and there was talk of it being 20 or 30 percent. It didn't quite reach those heights, but there was certainly a substantial shift towards Trump among African-Americans and among Hispanics. And then the Asian vote, which is also very significant, there was a drift towards Trump too and and the Republicans. So if the Democrats can't hold down minority votes, what is their coalition? It's privileged white people who like lecturing minorities about what is politically correct. Janet Daly was recently on this podcast and she argued that wokeism is simply a mass hysteria fad, similar to McCarthyism was in the 1950s, and it will simply fade away quite quickly, she thinks, as these ideologies do. Do you think that that there's any truth in that? I think it could go either way. I think there's there's good points to be made uh, for that argument, but I also think it could be a, a new religion. Uh, I think that we have a sort of decline, a catastrophic decline in the idea of truth in the post-Christian universe in which we live. And wokeism is filling that gap. So uh, the sort of guerrilla warfare of offence taking is the new religious warfare. Let's talk about the Republicans. The Republicans are obviously split between Trump and the sort of Bush era of Republicans. Has Trumpism won? Is the Republican Party now Trump's party? It is. Um, However, they do still have this problem of Trumpism is enough to get them a a very mobilised but still minority voter base. I don't think it's enough to win them elections. I could be proved wrong. They have a dilemma over what to do about Trump because, of course, he probably will run again. And if he does, can they win? I suspect that he can if it's Joe Biden or Kamala Harris. But can they win in the long term as a Trumpist party? I'm not so sure. One interesting thing to add into the mix is this idea of the cultural gap between the elites and the public. And, you know, is it where you talk about the media or business, politicians? 
they're all supportive of one very specific ideology, this very progressive wokeism, you call it a sort of semi or quasi religion. Do you think that gap has ever been wider in the United States between the public and between the elites in terms of culture? No, I don't think it has been. And I think the media are the problem here. I know journalists always like to blame the media because we're self-hating, but they are. I think the American media, we have it to an extent in Britain of the media not really understanding what people are talking about. But in America, it's absurd, the divide between people who work in most mainstream media and what people in America actually think. And the sort of mutual loathing that has developed between the media and the American public is extraordinary. And I think that is what sort of is causing this new class war in America, which is a very atrophied elite versus the mass of people. So can the media be blamed for the rise of Trumpism then? Absolutely. I mean, they were obsessed with him. And we see it in France now with Eric Zemmour, this presidential candidate, in which the media are obsessed with him, but they're also obsessed with saying we can't talk about him. So they talk about him and then they shout at each other for talking about him. So they build these phenomena that they pretend to destroy. In Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, the Republican, now governor, uh, he ran on a campaign of Trumpite policies. He's talked about fighting critical race theory in schools, uh, but he never really mentioned Donald Trump. Do you think there's a future for Republicans without the man, without the personality, but with the same policies and with the same rhetoric? I think a lot of Republicans were very excited about the possibility of, of, a, of a Youngkin-style candidate for the future. Whether that works more broadly nationally, I don't know, because Virginia is a very specific state. It's a state that's trended blue, trended Democrat for some time. I think you need more of the red raw meat of republicanism than Youngkin seemed to offer, or or sorry, the red raw meat of Trumpism than Youngkin seemed to offer, because a lot of Republicans are quite suspicious of sort of Republicans in Trump clothing. Well, this is really interesting because I think there's a candidate called Dr. Oz who's running for Senate in America. And he's a famous sort of health doctor on the TV and everyone really knows him and he's a big cultural phenomenon. And he's running as a Republican senator, trying to be the candidate, Mm. I think in Philadelphia. He started out his campaign by saying all the right words for Trump, for sort of Trumpite voters. He was saying America first, all of these things. And then within four days, he came out with a tweet and said, well, actually, I want to represent both the left and the right and have this sort of centrist, very centrist sort of rhetoric. Mm. Are we going to see these kind of centrist Republicans or Bush era Republicans using the Trumpite rhetoric more? And do you think they have any chance of success? I mean, it's possible they might succeed. But my prediction with American politics is always it's, it's going to be more crazy, not less. And that when Republicans, establishment Republicans, try to sort of envelop Trumpism but give it a nice sort of uh, mainstream sheen, then they tend to implode pretty quickly because Trumpist voters aren't stupid. I know a lot of people want to think they are, but they can spot fraudulence. And they use social media. This this is the interesting thing, I think, where politics is so uh, sort of, as you say, crazy in America. It's not necessarily done through the mainstream media outlets. I mean, the BBC here is still massively dominant as a means for people to get their information. Mm. But in America, I think social media and other alternative media platforms are having a much bigger influence than, say, CNN ever did historically. So could Trumpite voters be using these social media platforms and alternative platforms, Newsmax and all these other TV channels, to sort of, uh, I don't know, filter through these so-called false Republicans? I think quite possibly, yes. And I I think what's also interesting, if you look at Fox News and the kind of war on Fox News among Trumpists now, you know, in Britain, we tend to think of Fox News as being, 
you know, as far right as it's possible to go and, and indulging in the worst kind of cultural politics, et cetera, et cetera. As far as Trump is concerned, Fox News is politically correct brainwashing and it's, and it's elite propaganda. So you're, you're seeing the, the sort of the media on the right obliterating itself into ever further and weirder pieces. It's interesting, Zach, because Fox News has been promoting Dr. Oz and been interviewing him a lot. But then if I, I follow some certain Republicans on Twitter who I'd say are more on the Trump wing of the party, and they say, do. you know, yeah. absolutely, you know, I follow everyone. But they, they really don't like Dr. Oz. And they say, you know, he's, he's a, as you say earlier, false kind of Repu- uh, Trump and Trumpite and everything else. Um, so is Fox News going to be losing its significance in the States as a sort of medium? Is it, is, is it now all on Twitter? Is it all on these other alternative channels? I don't know. I think Fox News is such a behemoth. It has so much power. Uh, if you look at the website too, how well it performs still, it's hard to see it actually sort of being taken over by a, by a Newsmax, by, by a kind of Trumpist organisation. Because the problem is, is that, that you know, Fox News still vaguely tries to ground itself in reality most of the time. And a lot of these networks and channels, and I don't want to sound like an establishment stooge here, but a lot of them don't really believe in any sort of truth. And I think eventually you become a kind of, you know, series of cults in which you drift off into ever stranger theories. I mean, Tucker Carlson is an interesting example. Great man. He, he's, uh, he's an intellectual, he's, you know, in some ways, and he's written books and he sort of, as you said, I think he's one of those ones who does try and use truth to, uh, to perpetuate his arguments. And he's extremely popular. He's, well, his show is extremely well watched. And of course, everybody here thinks of him as this radical Trumpist figure. He's not really. He's actually been very critical of Trump. And, and it was interesting that it was when the stolen election narrative was building, it was Tucker Carlson who first said, hang on a second, Rudy Giuliani is promoting extremely weird. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com and wild ideas about what actually happened. And these are extraordinary claims, and I hope he can back them up. And just for saying that, a lot of Trumpists said, a lot of American America firsters said, oh, no, they've got to Tucker Carlson, you know, that Tucker Carlson's now a shill for the stolen election. But the reason his show is popular is because it remains grounded in reality, you know, even if it is a bit eccentric at times. 
Something I find absolutely fascinating is in 2016, the media and the sort of general narrative was that the West was heading to the right, and pop, in, in particular populism. So Donald Trump obviously was elected, Brexit, huge referendum here, caused a massive revolution. But I would say in, in the UK, you know, Theresa May wasn't a particularly right-wing politician or prime minister. Boris Johnson, you could say the same about him. In the States, Donald Trump tried his best to implement his policies. I don't know how successful he really was in bringing America to the right. So there was allegedly this great right-wing revolution in 2016, and we sort of slightly sort of shifted back to the the centre. But what's interesting now is in France, and you mentioned France earlier, politics is really shifting to the right, and all the candidates are having far more right-wing rhetoric than I think ever before. The left-wing candidates are doing extremely badly in the opinion polls. And perhaps in the States, there's something similar going on here. In Virginia, obviously, the Republicans had this big election victory, and uh, Glenn Youngkin had to use more right-wing or more Trumpite rhetoric in order to win, in order to win that election. He's not really on that side of the party, but he had to use that rhetoric. Mm. Is 2021, 2022 the real shift towards the right across the globe, not 2016? I think it could well be. It'll be very interesting to see, and I, I have no firm ideas as to whether it will be or not. I think that COVID scrambled everything in an interesting way. And there was a sort of panic away from populism. And there was a lot of people eager to say that it's time to get the sort of crazy populists out because this is what happens when you have a global crisis and you have these populists in charge. I think now that it's become clear that, you know, you still have a scrambled crisis, you still have incompetent governments, even though they're supposedly centrist and sensible, I think you could see radical shifts to the left and to the right. Um, I think the centre is still collapsing and it's a slow but nonetheless significant collapse. So these populist revolutions aren't over? Not at all. What can we expect in 2022 in terms of the midterm elections? Now, this is obviously a big test for Joe Biden. He currently holds both the House and the Senate uh, with very small majorities, you have to say. Uh, And at the moment, as we mentioned at the beginning of the interview, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, very unpopular. The economy is wobbly. Inflation is high. What can we expect in those elections? I think it's looking at the moment, unless something drastic happens, as though Biden is going to get what Obama had in his midterms, which is a a shellacking. He famously used this word shellacking. I think Biden is going to get a a real punishment at the ballot or the Democrats are going to get a real punishment at the ballot. And a lot of the Biden team, a lot of the White House people are quite sanguine about this. And I'm not sure they should be because they remember Obama and they think, you know, they can turn it around and actually having Republicans in charge in Congress might actually be useful because they can use that to to sort of seem thwarted by the evil Republicans. And then they can win re-election and and Biden might end up being a a reasonably popular president. There's a big problem with that, which is that Joe Biden is clearly not Barack Obama. Barack Obama was a very, very impressive politician in some ways. Joe Biden does not have his uh, skills and his charisma. And as we've already discussed, he is quite old and doddery. So whether Biden will be able to turn it around after crashing in the midterms, I have grave doubts. Let's talk about Donald Trump. You mentioned him earlier. He probably will run in 2024, or at least that's the sort of indications that he's been giving to people within interviews. If you look at his interview with Nigel Farage, I think it's pretty obvious that that's where Trump is heading, or at least he wants people to think that's where he's heading. And that's important to him to keep himself relevant and everything else. Mm. Do you think it makes electoral sense for him to run? 
Well, if he thinks he can win, and I suspect he will think he can win, then yes, it does. And I mean, obviously, as, as you suggest, it's all about the tease for him. It's all about the, the drama and the show, the Trump show, keeping the Trump show on the road. I don't see how he keeps the Trump show on the road by pulling back. It's possible that if he can find some way in which his ego can be sated by approving another candidate, by endorsing another candidate, then he might opt to do that. But I, d- I can't really see that happening. Has that ever happened before in American politics, where a president has lost an election and come back and then won a re-election a, a, a next term later? Well, I think it has happened. I think Grover Cleveland served a non-consecutive terms, but it's very rare and it would be an extraordinary event. Do you think we've ever seen a period in American political life where people are so polarised and there's so much division at the moment? Or is it simply social media sort of exaggerating all that? I think what you have is people who are simultaneously polarised and looking to come together. And that happens, that's happening in democracies everywhere. Of this, there's the sort of the rage of the culture wars going on. At the same time, as this desperation for people to sort of get on with it and get back to normal, whatever normality is. So I think it's weird and polarisation. I think everybody is increasingly polarised within themselves. During the Cold War, there was this great enemy, this great behemoth, the Soviet Union, where Americans could look to and in a way be united in their sort of hatred of the other. Mm. Um, At the moment, we perhaps are lacking that sort of clear, obvious rival that's got so much power as the Soviet Union did. Mm. China is becoming a major issue around the world, especially for Western democracies. Recently, Joe Biden announced that he would be enacting a diplomatic boycott of the 2022 Beijing games. Do you think that that could be a uniting factor to bring not just America, but other Western democracies perhaps perhaps more together as they see that, look, we can't just sit around here and argue all day. There's a real issue on the horizon. I think China is certainly a rival and a rival to, to the sort of Western ideals of freedom and democracy. And I think it's odd that other governments haven't taken it seriously as a threat until recently. Trump sort of changed the, the ship of state, as, as it were, on the, on the China issue. And Biden now realises he has to present himself as, as standing up to China uh, because that's what American voters want. However, I don't really see any significant moves in that direction. Certainly there's the Olympic boycotts. There's, there's a lot of talk about isolating China. I don't know how strategically serious they are. It'll be interesting to see what happens over Taiwan. But I mean, the real burning one for me that I find it odd that there isn't more of a fuss about is the origins of the coronavirus. I realise that this is an area ripe with conspiracy theory, but there is an obvious truth, which is that China has not let an international investigative team try to find out what is, how this virus started, and that we can't actually fix this virus unless we know more about its origins. That's a significant thing that has affected the world, that has caused the global system to almost collapse. And yet there doesn't seem to be concerted effort to pressure China into being more transparent about the virus. I I find that odd. Why do you think Joe Biden's perhaps being weak on that particular issue? And as you say, the the diplomatic boycott is a relatively simple and easy thing for the Americans to do. But there perhaps should be more uh, sort of firm action against China, you know, as Donald Trump was doing with the the trade sanctions and things like that. I think there's a lot of anxiety about actually standing up to China, actually causing China diplomatic headaches, because it, it is very dangerous in far, as far as the global economy is concerned. I mean, we talk about inflation. You know, China has been a, a massive deflationary force uh, because of its huge labour market on the world for a long time. Do we want to stop that? Do we want to disrupt that? A lot of people don't. 
Well, it's an interesting point because globalization obviously has led to huge amounts of wealth for many people, but for others, particularly uh, sort of middle-class, working-class voters in, in the Rust Belt in America, in the north of England, in the UK, many people have experienced stagnation. Their wages haven't risen. They haven't particularly felt the economic benefits of that huge globalization that China was a massive part of. Mm. And the people who are pushing for China to join the WTO were those sort of Bushite and, uh, and Clinton-era politicians, including Joe Biden. So they're sort of reaping the whirlwind yes. um, of their own actions. Uh, is that right? Yes, I mean, I think so. And I think, you know, it, it sort of sounds very Steve Bannonite to talk about globalism versus you know, nationalism. But certainly voters are increasingly cognizant that those are the two big forces in politics at the moment, and they're either attaching themselves to one or the other. So this is happening, whether we want to call it vile populism or not. The recent supply chain issue uh, perhaps brings to voters' minds immediately the issues of a globalised world where supply chains are reliant on other countries that we may not particularly get on with, especially China. Do you think as people see all these issues with globalization and free trade and free movement, mm. there is going to be even more of a backlash against it in, recent, in, in the coming years. Yes, I think so. I think that, well, particularly with the pandemic and supplies, you know, people realize it's a, it's a serious problem if you're reliant on an extremely complicated system of, of supply chains to provide essential things that you need in a crisis. So, yes, I think we're now at a sort of the pandemic is, you know, people say the pandemic's accelerated a lot of things, but certainly it's accelerated this question or, or brought to the fore this question of where we go in terms of the global economy. Do we try and protect our industries or do we not? Do we do we go backwards or forwards? I have no clear answers to that question, but I think that's the that's the key political issue at the moment. I mentioned the Democratic congressman earlier who was railing against this this Litanex sort of pronoun issue. And I think, you know, as we said earlier, perhaps Democrats will start to listen, perhaps some of the people in the elites will start to listen to the concerns of voters as they lose elections. And that may be a sort of issue that uh, spurns these people into thinking, well, actually, we need to take a step back here and understand what's going on and understand these people's concerns. Mm. So do you think we are, the the elites are perhaps beginning to listen as they start, as they lose elections and things like that? I think certainly there, there are movements towards opening up, towards criticism and, and things like that. I suppose the, the bigger problem is that they don't actually really want to listen. They want to be, you know, there was a lot of talk about flyover country after Trump got elected, this obsession with flyover country. And it was a bit like the Red Wall in Britain. It was like, oh, there's this sort of group of people that we'd never really thought about. And, you know, sort of so Channel 4 News will go into a pub in the north and think that that is sort of tapping into what people are actually thinking. And it's obviously easy to criticise that. How do you cover the Red Bull? How do you cover these forgotten areas? But it, it can seem very de ho en bas, you know, this sort of, oh, let's, oh, these people actually exist. Let's go and talk to them rather than, you know, actually trying to understand what's going on. I speak to a lot of people on these podcasts who give an extremely depressing view of the current state of affairs. Mm. Some people even argue that we are in a similar situation as Rome was before its decline and fall. Do you think that there's any truth that our civilization is simply collapsing as we fight each other and as China is on the, rise, uh, on the horizon and we're simply more divided than ever before? I do worry about civilizational collapse, yes, because I do think that the sort of basic understanding of truth, as, as we touched on earlier, has, has gone. And I think that came out of the Christian tradition, was that there is such a thing as truth. And I think that's being lost on the left and the right. Um, and I think we need, particularly the media, I think as journalists, we need to try and focus on 
what's true rather than uh, what excites people or what causes clicks. What do you think are the solutions to this? I think re- religion is an interesting thing that has held people together for thousands of years all throughout humanity's existence. And it seems that human beings need something to believe in some kind of purpose, something to drive them. And we may have seen that vacuum being filled with wokeism or other sort of really radical ideologies that people, and you know, it's causing all the culture wars and everything else. So what do you think is the solution to this civilizational collapse? Uh, that's quite a big question, but... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I dread to think. I mean, yeah, I suppose religions do sort of form around... Sorry, societies do sort of civilizations form around a religious ethos, and that could be wokeism. I think I think it's you know people on the right can sneer and joke about how ridiculous wokeism as much as we like. It is obviously ridiculous to us, but it could be something which which could have a sort of civilizing mission. In fact, it does have a civilizing mission. So, I mean, I don't think it will work as a civilizing influence because it actually divides people. I think you need something to bind a national purpose or a societal purpose around and that could be nationalism it could be globalism it could be wokeism it could be a new religion it could be islam i think that we are secular cultures have become a bit empty and i think something is going to fill that void it's just not quite clear what do you think the the people who are anti-woke who are sort of railing against this stuff have they got a bit of an, a bit of an issue here where they haven't really got an alternative to the wokeism's narrative they can say that they can point to its flaws. They can say it's total nonsense. But what's, where's their vision? Where's their uniting ideology or factor? Do you think that, re- that is an issue for them? Uh, yes, I think so. And I think a lot of times it's liberals. It's, it's sort of people who think that they're good liberals are angry because they see it as the intolerance of the left. And they're right. But perhaps they don't realise that it's, it's really a civil war that's going on with sort of wokeism versus the centre um, between two different understandings of liberalism. So where do we find this uniting vision if it's not in wokeism? What sort of guides you in a sort of moral way? Me personally? Yes. Uh, well, I'm a not, not very good Catholic, I suppose. Obviously, I think that um, religion is a, is a force for good in the world. I think Christianity is a force for good in the world. I think that Islam can be a force for good in the world too. I don't see it as necessarily a, a great evil, as a lot of people seem to. But there is certainly a problem occurring between large Muslim communities and a very secular culture. There's a clash there. Um, and that causes terrorism and resentment. Do you think that young people today are sort of missing out in, ter- in terms of their education of our really important things that's happened in our history? You know, why has our society come together as it has? Why has humanity progressed so much? And it has progressed in huge ways. You can look at poverty and wealth and all these things in the mm. last 200 years. You look at the Enlightenment values, you look at all these things, and perhaps people are sort of forgetting where we came from. I think certainly that's happened, and also that they think that where we came from is a place of evil um, and that we're always progressing towards something better and good and therefore whatever's old is bad and whatever happened in the past in Christianity must have been racist and patriarchal and so on and therefore it needs to be completely deconstructed. Um, The problem is you're left with nothing if you do that. How does one argue against that? Because they have got some legitimate points. You know, not everything that happened in the past was sure. good. The Crusades and weren't pretty. Yeah. No, exactly. And, and they are right. Lots of these people were racist by today's standards and there were slave owners and it was a complete tragedy. So how does one say, well, actually, these things were bad, but there are actually some good things? 
Well, I, th I think you have to be honest about the, the society we live in now. Do we think society is perfect now? In many ways, it's better economically. It's obviously a lot better for most people. I think we have to be honest about whether human beings are happier now than they were 100 years ago. We, we don't really know. But I think we should be open to the, to the possibility that something might be going wrong in our society. Thank you so much, Freddie, for joining us. Great pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this show and are interested in hearing more episodes like it, please follow this podcast and drop us a review. If you have any suggestions of people you would like to be interviewed, you can let us know via the Apple Podcasts app. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.